everybody, and welcome to the Put Cancer Behind You podcast, a series dedicated to helping cancer patients and survivors lead healthy, happy lives. I'm your host, Maria Barnes. Surviving any rare cancer and living a full life is a miracle. It just goes against all odds, and certainly against what we've come to expect as the result of standard allopathic care. So when you encounter someone who's been able to do that, it's a story that must be told. My guest today is my friend Leslie Esseraitano, a professional voice and acting coach who lives in Madison, Wisconsin. She navigated decades of a mysterious disease with misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis. And yet, here we are. Leslie, thanks so much for agreeing to share your unusual and truly inspiring story. Thanks so much for having me, Maria. I am thrilled that you're here. Now, before we get into talk about disease, let's start with your true passion, which I believe is the performing arts. How have you become a professional performer and teacher? Uh, Well, I went to school for theater at UW-Madison, Wisconsin, and after college, way back in 1984, I moved to New York and pursued a performing career. For 10 years, I was pretty darn successful. I did regional theater, trade shows for big corporations, commercials, short films, and some opera productions. And I worked on cruise ships as a performer, which was a lot of fun. And in between all of that, I waitered and tempted as a way of survival. I also pet walked, house set, was a personal assistant to a writer for TV. The amount of jobs, Maria, that I've done it in my life probably is in the hundreds. It's just amazing. I mean, like so many artists who love what they do, your true passion, you'll do anything in order to do it. And you did just that, actually. Yeah, I was so driven. I I pushed myself pretty hard. As a musical theater performer, you want to be what they call a triple threat. You have to be able to sing, dance, and act all supremely well. And so in addition to working and auditioning, I was always taking some kind of class. I went to voice lessons. I took acting classes, dance classes, and stacked all of that on top of working and um, having a lot of heartbreak as well. While in New York, I went through a string of relationships that probably were not the best for me. They were really hard to get over. And so I had this pushing really hard, the success, the performing, the auditioning, the working, and that heartache. And let's be honest, that would wear, you know, anyone down. So you did that for a long time. So how long were you well? Well, in New York, I was probably, I had a solid, good seven years. So what about that? So seven years. So in your early 30s, it sounds like you began to get sick. Um, What happened? Well, I woke up one day with a really bad pain in my back, and I was like, oh, I know what this is. It's a bladder infection. I've had this before, and so I went to my gynecologist. He did a test. He said, "Um, no, you don't have a bladder infection. You probably pulled a muscle. And so I went back to my apartment and tried to figure out how I pulled the muscle and basically rested my back for a month still not able. That's a long time. (laughs) It's a long time to rest and get over a pulled muscle, right? Yeah. Finally, I went back to my home in Madison, Wisconsin, with the intent of possibly doing some physical therapy. And I actually saw a neurologist and he told me it was all in my head, which was 
really hard to take at the time. That is just ridiculous, honestly. Yeah. So about the time I was about to start physical therapy, I woke up on the floor in my parents' kitchen and um, found myself in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. And they diagnosed me with something called pelvic inflammatory disease, which was an infection of my pelvic area. And they gave me ton of antibiotics. And lo and behold, not only did I get well, my back pain went away practically overnight. But they said, yeah, that's just coincidental. Oh, and by the way, your labs came back negative for your pelvic inflammatory disease. So we don't really know what you had, but we cured you. Great. Okay. So then, so what happened then? I went back to New York because that's where I wanted to be. And it was really good to be back. And after about a year of kind of getting back in the swing of things, I started feeling really dizzy. And it was just weird. I felt lightheaded all the time and I didn't know what was going on. And once again, in a very dramatic fashion, I uh, collapsed on the New York subway one day and uh, found myself in an ambulance and back in in a hospital again. Ultimately was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus, which is the virus that causes mono. Uh, And I was like, well, that's really odd because I have had mono before and you're not supposed to get it again. And the doctors were like, yeah, well, apparently you've got it again. And I was like, I had it when I was four. I had it when I was 18. But okay, I spent a week in the hospital. And then after that, I went home again to Wisconsin to recuperate at my parents' house for what they told me was a month. But that month turned out to be six months and wow. yeah, and after about six months, I went to see a hematologist, and he was like, "Really sorry, there's nothing we can do for Epstein Barr," and uh, that just did not sit well with me. The nothing we can do aspect. So I saw a holistic doctor in Madison. He did some blood work, and he told me I had lymphoma, and I was like, "What?" I took that blood work and those labs back to the hematologist. The hematologist was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's just what Epstein-Barr looks like. You don't have lymphoma. You have Epstein-Barr. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do now to get myself well? Right, exactly. You're back yes. on your own. So what, what next? I mean, what happened? Well... I did something really crazy because most of my day was spent on my parents' couch. But I had a friend invite me out to do a show in L.A., a musical. And somehow, against all good reason, against, you know, everybody else's opinion, I packed up my bags and flew to L.A. to do this show. And... Wow. Basically, I was good for about two hours of rehearsal in the evening, and then I would spend most of my time um, back on the couch. Um, However, as fate would have it, I met this really great guy in the show, and within a month, 
we knew that we wanted to get married and in with within three months we got married and the first almost the first thing he said after we came back from getting married was okay you have my insurance let's get you well and Fantastic. that was such a beautiful yeah. thing for him to say like let's let's focus on this so at the time you could pretty much see whoever you wanted to there wasn't hmos so i saw a holistic doctor in la and what he was doing was pretty radical at the time he was doing like nutritional supplements and chelation therapy and even better our insurance covered it so I went to see him, yeah. and he was operating under the understanding that I had Epstein-Barr virus. So he put me on this extreme protocol of no sugar, no fruit, no dairy, no yeast. And if you like, think about like 1995, this, that was pretty radical. Now nobody bats an that eye was. if you tell them you're not right. doing dairy. But back in 1995, it was... It was kind of out there. Right. So he put me on this protocol, and lo and behold, I got well within six months. Yeah, that's great. So you felt well then. So what was your life like outside of trying to get well? What were you doing? Uh, Well, I was doing a couple of things. I was doing one of those survival jobs, working as a personal assistant for a television writer, Um, where I could just kind of create my own hours. And I also at the time became a yoga teacher because yoga had been such a huge part of my healing. And that was really something I was fascinated with. I also became an assistant to my voice teacher at the High School for Performing Arts for their um, programs there. And then I subsequently went on to also teach classes there. Um, So I was really lucky. I had two things that I loved to do, teaching yoga, and I created a lot of different programs for hospitals, for the MS Society, uh, the Performing Arts Program at the LA County School for the Arts was phenomenal. And both of those were just things that just fed my passions. Right. Made you feel great. Yes. And you were feeling great. Yes. I was feeling good enough that, and strong enough that at the age of 40, I had a child, my daughter. That's amazing. I know. (laughs) Yes. And um, that was really a motivator for me being, getting well and staying well. And that just was really eye-opening to me because that was something I thought I could never do. Even if you hadn't been sick exactly, before. Right. Yes. Not, yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, so then what did you all decide to stay in LA or what was, what did you decide as a couple in, in terms of raising your daughter? Yeah. The LA scene was not like, we weren't thrilled with raising our daughter in the environment of LA. Although I loved, I loved so many things about LA. So That was a difficult decision, but also one as parents that we were like, we didn't want to send our kids to a private school. We didn't want to have to sit on the highway for three hours every day. So uh, the place that I went running from when I graduated from college, 
Madison is where we came back to. And so then what did you start? How did you all, you know, develop a life, a healthy life in Madison? Well, it was kind of a roundabout way. I was teaching a lot of yoga here and I went to my doctor, my assigned doctor, to get a refill for a prescription that I had in LA for my dizziness and my low blood pressure. And uh, he insisted that I have labs done. And I was like, oh, fine, I guess. And he came back with like, I'm really sorry you have lymphoma. This is not easy for me to tell you. And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. That's just what my labs will always look like. And he was like, hmm, I don't think so. Can you like go see an oncologist? Because I'm really not equipped. I was like, sure, sure. You know, I just kind of brushed him off. I went, saw an oncologist, hematologist slash oncologist, and uh, they did a bone biopsy. And lo and behold, I got diagnosed with lymphoma. And that was at the age of 44. Wow. So it had, all of this craziness had really been going on for quite some time. That's, a, and that's exactly right. And the quite some time is the part that nobody really knows. Was it when I was four and I had mono? Was it when I was 18 when I had mono? Was it when I was 30 and I had mono? Like, where did the Epstein-Barr begin or end? And where did the lymphoma begin and end? Nobody really right. knew except my doctor who gave me the diagnosis of the lymphoma said, you have been dealing with this for a very, very long time. And uh, we don't really know why you're alive. And you're going to be written <laughs> up in medical journals. And we're just, you're a unique case. And indeed you are. So, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that your immune system has been going up and down for decades. But what that means is that you have innately known how to take your immune system back up when, you, when it dipped really low. Because cancer is for a low-frequency disease. And in a healthy immune system, that's when you're feeling great. So how did you navigate that? And who are you that you can do this? Yeah, that's that's a great question because it, it started, I think, with the word lymphoma. And how when I heard that word, it was very different than Epstein-Barr. Epstein-Barr is a virus. I was like, oh, yeah, I got that. Lymphoma, really, the word lymphoma, when I heard that word, I crashed pretty hard just from hearing that word. And... And the type of lymphoma, because uh, tell me what type you had. So it's called mantle cell lymphoma. And I can tell you that's about all I know of it. Right. I have actually looked it up and it's very rare type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of cancer of the lymphatic system. Right. So not a great cancer yeah. to have. And, <laughs> Let's put it that way. And honestly... When I got the diagnosis, I'm usually somebody who just researches everything. Be, I mean, I have a hard time picking out shampoo or moisturizer because I'm like, what's the best one? What, you know, and I'm reading everything I can on the internet. And at that point, when I got the diagnosis, I decided I don't need 
to educate myself about this because it's going to take me into more fear. Right. And it's going to be more worrisome than uplifting. I'm going to focus on what have people done? What have been the ways that non-traditional, integrative, if you want to call it, medicine, I guess it's more traditional because it's ancient, if you want to look at it, what are other modalities of healing besides chemotherapy and radiation? And so I started to do that. So what, yeah, what did, what did you do? They put you on some, I mean, they did have something for you, didn't they? Yes. So they gave me an antibody treatment called Rituxan. And I welcomed that. And as I was getting it, I felt fantastic. And I was like, wow, I just felt really good when I would go and get those treatments. However, my guidance system, my internal guidance system was like, this is great, but not for a long-term plan. Like it was kind of like a short-term thing. And I knew that my body could take some of it, but it wasn't going to be something that was sustainable. So I started doing lots and lots of research and luckily the internet is an opportunity to educate yourself. Yeah. You can use it to educate yourself. You can use it to create more fear. And I decided I was going to use it to educate myself. And so what did you do? I mean, how did you fare after you finished your antibody treatment? I doubled up on everything that I was already doing, which was A Course in Miracles, my daily practice, my daily study mind training practice that I'd been doing since I lived in New York. Wow. I had discovered that 30 years ago and I realized that my thoughts were the most important part of my healing process. And I knew enough about how that worked that I wasn't going to run the scary stories for myself. Right. And the victim stories for myself. As far as like what I did externally, I really dived into kind of some fringe things, which are now, again, very traditional. I started researching mushrooms, medicinal mushrooms. Fantastic. I started taking... Um, high doses of vitamin C. Mm-hmm. I started juicing greens. Wow. I started, you know, researching what vegetables had anti-cancer properties. And I started just really amplifying more of that, more of that, more of that, more of that. And I took a lot of supplements. IP6 inositol hexophosphate ip6 wow that was a big one i've never heard of these yes most (laughs) of the doctors i saw hadn't heard of anything i was taking well definitely not yet and yet they were well researched well documented often peer-reviewed research of things that were being done around the world but the doctors i was working with just not to any fault of their own, but they just didn't have the time. That just wasn't their modality. They were, the doctor that I was seeing, the primary doctor, could guide me to like, we know about green tea, we know about vitamin D. Everything else is like kind of, we don't know. It's outside of their protocol. 
It just is. It's way, it is. And they didn't know I was well. And I was like, mostly I wanted to go to my appointments to say, I'm well because I'm eating 10 vegetables (laughs) a day. I'm making an effort. I'm juicing. I'm doing the things that I love. I'm meditating. I'm doing healing modalities. I'm using guided imagery. I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things, but that wasn't on their list. No, no. And not to say that what they did for, uh, you know, allopathic medicine does for any cancer patient. Right. Uh, certainly yes. for me, it did benefit me. It, it gave me the time to wrap my head around what was going on with me. So, because I knew that ultimately if I was going to survive, it was going to be up to me because in every cancer case, there comes a point where they can no longer help you. Right. So then what? You're on your own. You are. Yes. And so, but you had been on your own for decades. That's the difference. Yeah. And, And that also gave me the kind of the strength and the wherewithal to trust. Well, if I have done this before. Right. Maybe I can do it again. Like, Maybe I can. I'm going to try. I mean, I'm not, like, if I'm not feeling better within a couple of months, I will, I will go back. But at some point, I stopped going for my three, every three month and every six month checkups because it was pulling me down and my guidance system, how I was feeling for weeks prior weeks prior to going to my follow-up appointment was so stressful. Mm. Now, I've been living with this for a very, very long time. So I was using a well-honed guidance system. Like I just didn't wake up and just like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. I had been going through a long series of dips or relapses and then kind of boosts up again. So I was learning more and more and more to trust my internal guidance system and not let that be overridden by some external. And that and by fear. And by fear. And by yeah. what somebody else thought would be the best for me. And what's right. the best for me was very different than what might be the best for Maria or, you know, a listener. It's so important to kind of excavate through the fear and go, really, what is going to bring me to peace? Right. You know, if if for somebody else, that process may be the least peaceful choice and just bring up more fear. For me, it was a path to peace. And it's so interesting you say that because there have been studies done and books written now uh, about people who have survived cancer and all of them without without exception, the ones who do survive meditate at least a half hour a day. And of the nine factors that they've seen across all of these people, seven of them are spiritual. So let's talk about how you run your life, how you run your day, because I believe you are an expert at at, uh, getting well when things go, you know, there are stresses in life. Everyone goes down. Not everyone goes down to cancer, but those of us who have experienced cancer, we obviously have, that might be more of a problem for us. So we need to, to know how to navigate these choppy waters. How do you do that? Well, that meditation part you said is always 
that is part of my Course in Miracles work. And that is key. And when I don't think I need it, whoo, whoo, I think like I'm done. I don't need out of time for that. That is a built into my system now. Yeah. That is a built in, like a great built in cabinet. Um, a Course in Miracles, which is a mind, it's a deep mind training. That is a built in. Right. And I, but I could not have done. And I could not do A Course in Miracles without a tremendous amount of help from the outside and lots of outside sources for assistance on that. And there are wonderful teachers and guides. You know, Marianne Williamson was my first teacher, but there are dozens of people out there now offering practical kind of guidance for how to work through that so it's not just a theoretical yeah but it's real and because it's not easy actually it's it's for some people it's very difficult to understand certainly it was for me because i am also a course of miracles student and uh it but i do credit it with saving my life why because it helped me to to master or to be to get on the path to mastering my mind which is where all the power right right i um so that's how i start my day with a course of miracles lesson and reading some of the texts. <clears throat> I also have been in the last two years since COVID, since March of 2020, been working daily with Panash Desai. He started offering a free morning meditation called 21 Minute Call to Calm every morning. And it is preceded by a morning monologue. And that to me is a mixture of boots on the ground, let's let's dig deep but also there's laughter it's practical it's a little different every day but it is like having a benevolent brother with you holding your hand helping you to do the deep and dirty work to remind yourself that you are or i am perfect and i am a divine being versus broken, that I need to be fixed somehow, that I'm not enough, that for whatever those thoughts that are running through my those tapes, I'm not good enough, it's too late, whatever trauma I've been through, he really helps you to unwind all of that energy. And you don't really know you even have it until you have somebody who's really going to help you kind of like go, well, let's kind of just take a look and see what's in there. And somehow he does it in 21 minutes every morning and <laughs> keeps keeps me laughing too. So I've got that. And then in addition to that, I have a yoga practice that I do every morning. And right. that can be anything from just laying on the floor and doing some really deep breathing and gentle stretches to something more challenging with standing and balance poses but the biggest part of that for me is that breathing because the breath work that I'm doing in yoga now is really about inhaling and connecting with an infinite potential and exhaling out everything that is not that (laughs) so exhaling out the anger and the disappointment, or the jealousy, or the conflict, or the fear. And so that yoga pose, and the breath that goes along with it, is for me 
the most important thing. Not so much like, this is where you put your hand, this is where you put your foot, and this is like, right, right and move your right elbow. You know, I taught that for many years. But for me now, it's an entry point for breathing and using the breath to allow me access to my infinite potential, my divinity. Which which is in the present. You're very present focused when you're working on your breath work, are you not? Yeah, but I used to think it was boring before. I was like, people would talk about oh. breath work. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I was like, <laughs> some of it, honestly, a lot of the healing modalities to me were just boring or didn't seem like fun. And uh, mm. I'm definitely re, as of this year, reintroducing a sense of fun and play rather than heaviness back into everything I'm doing. I love it. Everything I'm doing, yeah, I want it to feel fun rather than, oh, I've got to go get some more kale. Oh, right? It just did, it was starting to feel a little heavy. And that heaviness just, I realized, wasn't serving me when I was like, a prisoner of my obligations to myself that I was so locked in that I wanted to kind of explore what does this feel like as a right now I don't know too many people that are like skipping down the hall um, to their chemotherapy or radiation appointment (laughs) but but this process of evolving in our healing it's like we've kind of been programmed that it's got to be all hard, heavy work. Right. And I'm kind of really ready to lighten up a little bit, Maria. Yep. I, I think life needs to be fun when you enjoy it, when you do what you love, when you appreciate everything, when you have gratitude for everything, knowing that everything is as it should be. That just brings you to a a center that is very calm and it is from that center that you can take your next step uh, to a, a new and positive although unknown future but with faith you know it's going to be great right I, yeah and one foot in front of the other one step at a time moving forward with faith I think that's the key and and the faith is just knowing feeling the joy from within I, I think that gives me the confidence to move forward I just I think myself happy, right? I focus on happy. That is our natural yeah. state. That is so yes. all the other stuff. It's just, it's a lot of dirt. And like our natural state is peace. Our natural yeah. state is joy. That's the essence. Because if we are, you know, look at a baby. You know, the only time that they're not happy is when they, you know, are hungry or they've got a dirty diaper, right? But most of the time, you know, or they're uncomfortable, they're colicky, but most of the time a baby is at peace, you know, and that is our natural state. Most of the time babies aren't pissed off at somebody. Most, you know, babies (laughs) aren't annoyed. Babies aren't jealous. Babies don't know fear. They don't even know fear. Yeah. Right? So, even the stressors, Maria, I'm really excited. Like when something annoys me or I'm afraid of it or I'm triggered by somebody else's behavior, to me, it's an opportunity. 
I want to look mm-hmm. at that and alchemize it and go, okay, this is an opportunity, learning opportunity rather than get caught in the story of, well, she's doing this. He's behaving this way. This is what's happening out there to realize that it's just a reflection of something that I have not really dealt with inside of myself. And that is a big lesson that those things that are like pissing you off, if that person is behaving a certain way, let's say with rage or anger, you'd be like, well, I'm a nice person. Why? I would never have, I would never be that. But then you start to kind of dig a little deeper and go, okay, where have I been screaming, judging myself? Where have I been criticizing myself? Where have I been disappointed in myself? Mm -hmm. And that's the work. That is, that is the work to really kind of realize those people and events they're not against, the universe is never against me. It's for me. It's just helping me just to bring up that stuff. Or as the Course in Miracles says, love brings up anything unlike itself. And yeah. that's part of my journey. And so rather than like trying to shy away from it and trying to get over it, to observe it, not resist it, and... Ask yourself, what is the opportunity here for me to learn about myself? Which is so empowering, which is so healing. Yeah, there is. Panash Desai said, I, he said, you are the most powerful, interesting person you'll ever meet. You know, if you ask a kid that, they'll talk about a superhero or something. But what if we were able to say that about ourselves, that we are the most powerful person we will ever meet? We tend to give our power away. I know that. In whatever authority figure, you're not going to question it. You're not going to doubt. You know, I come from a family of nurses and doctors. And you don't, you know, I grew up with my mom as a nurse. And you just did not question a doctor. You didn't question. They know, doctors know, even better for you than what mothers know. That's the belief, right? Yes, that, and that's unwrapping a belief. And that's unwrapping yet another belief. And it could be a belief that you got from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, or even another lifetime. If you want to kind of just entertain that idea that exactly. you're bringing in stuff sometimes and you don't even know why. And it's not a fault. It's just you're carrying in sometimes a lot of ancestral residue, ancestral residue of poverty consciousness, ancestral residue of victim consciousness that you don't even know where it came from, but it's just kind of almost genetic. And, but the opportunity is for you to do something about it now. Right. In the now, the now moment. Correct. Correct. That is it. Well, I think that you are well on your way to Staying around for a lot longer, (laughs) I have to say. I'm having a good time. You know what? I'm having a good time and I'm not beating myself up. If something happens that I dip or whatever, I am gentle with myself. And I hope um, your listeners can be gentle with themselves and know that 
it's a process and it's not linear and embrace to embrace the journey and the discovery of themselves and there's no right answer there's no wrong answer the best answer is what's best for you and that could that could look so different than the person sitting next to you who has the very same kind of cancer right it's just you have to trust what you have to go inside and really feel into what's right for you and that change and that can be a changing landscape you could be yes. make a decision about something and then 15 minutes later get very strong guidance that nope you know, and I used to feel obligated if I made decisions about something or plans with somebody, I had to follow through. I had to follow through. And more and more, I'm realizing my guidance sometimes tells me, nope, you're not doing that. Nope, that probably wouldn't be best right now. Even though 15 minutes ago, I was on my way to Costco, right? <laughs> um, and it's like, all of a sudden, my guidance is like, mm, that's not really going to be in your best interest right now. So just to trust mm. that now moment, that now moment is going to not give you necessarily a clear picture of the future, but it's going to keep you safe in the now. In the now moment, right. you are safe. You are safe Yes. 99.9999% of the time, unless there's a hurricane coming, unless there's a tornado, we are safe. And I think this feeling of you are safe right now. I am safe in being here right now. And that is authentic. That's what makes people authentic when they listen to their own internal guidance instead of trying to please everyone outside of themselves. Well, because we've been programmed to go along, to get along, you know, go yes. along to get along yes. within a family, within a work situation, with friends, and then are people going to be disappointed in you? So, like I said, then you override that guidance that you were like, after you go through that event, you go, I knew I should have stayed home. <laughs> I knew I should have, right. but you went anyway. And something, for whatever reason, was telling you not to. So it's a, it's a fun journey, but it is a little bit like doing improv in theater. You really have to be on your toes and you have to be willing to be flexible. And absolutely. And I agree with you. And I, I'm sitting in your audience and I'm applauding you, Leslie, because... You have managed disease and wellness for decades, decades. And I can see that because you've trained your mind to go into love, into forgiveness, into creativity, that you are still here. And not only are you surviving, you're thriving. And I think with each year, you're getting more powerful, realizing the power of who you are. And I just want to applaud you for that and say thank you because you are definitely someone I look up to. I mean... You can give so many people the hope that they can navigate their journey too. They, but, you know, you just have to have the belief that you can do that. Yes. The belief is everything. The belief. And right. however, however that looks for you. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. We'll come back and and have another chat at some point and see how you're doing. But thanks a million for sharing your journey. It's an amazing one. And God bless you. Every day is another gift, isn't it? God bless you, too. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Maria. Thank you for listening to Put Cancer Behind You with Maria Barnes. So you won't miss a single episode. We hope you'll follow our program on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us at mariabarnes.net, on Facebook at Put Cancer Behind You, on Twitter at PCBY01, or on Instagram at Maria Barnes PCBY. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know is in need of cancer coaching, Maria is here to help. We'll see you next time. Copyright 2022, Maria Barnes, LLC, All Rights Reserved.